everybody. Um, we're really very excited about this morning's or this evening's or this afternoon's webinar. Um, it's from setbacks to comebacks. And this is a really important topic that I think all of us um, you are concerned about, particularly as we all face um, situation, you know, crisis after crisis. Um, but this is really all about how do we deliver personalized strategies for organizational resilience. So um, how do we work with our teams, with individuals within our teams um, to help give them um, the resources, the support, um, and uh, the capabilities to navigate um, prolonged uncertainty. And, and so um, our agenda for today, we're gonna talk a little bit about the interplay between uh, personal resilience after we go through some introductions. Um, and then we're gonna dive into uh, what we do about it, which I think is a really important step, uh, particularly around this topic, uh, which tends to stay at the 40,000 foot view. I mean, I think we all acknowledge there is a relationship there, but. Uh, what do we do about it? Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. And um, and at the end of this, we've actually got some um, some resources, a toolkit, if you will, um, for you to take back to your teams um, and uh, as a means to really engage on this topic and um, and drive progress really around um, understanding the relationship between personal resilience and organizational resilience and how do we ultimately, um, build a more resilient team. So, so I think many of you um, already know me, but um, I, Paula Fontana, I lead global marketing at Illuminar, and I'm joined here today by our esteemed guest, Katie Belfi. Katie, you want to take a couple minutes to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. I, um, I first of all, Paula, thank you so much for having me today. I have enjoyed putting this together with you so much because it's it's something that we're both so passionate about. And I think that the partnership that we've created really is allowing us to take this into a completely different space. And so I'm really excited about sharing all of this with all of you. And uh, so just a little bit about who I am and why I'm here. I am a resilience coach and consultant. Um, I've come to this place in my career through a very winding path. I started out as an attorney in the private sector and my love of emergency management and my passion for resilience started when I became an attorney for FEMA. I joined the agency just weeks before Hurricane Sandy and ended up being the only attorney in the state of New York uh, when the storm made landfall. And I had been on the job for just a few weeks. So that was really my, my first foray into emergency management. And the first time personal resilience became very, very real to me. And um, from there, I developed a career in emergency management, worked for NYU Langone, helped build that enterprise resilience program from the ground up post-Sandy, and years later went out on my own as a consultant, helping organizations develop enterprise resilience, organizational resilience, operational resilience, whatever words you want to use to, uh, to describe this process. And along the way, I realized how much of a hole there was in really talking about and addressing personal resilience in that context. So that's what brought me to where I am today. And I'm I'm so glad to be here with all of you. Thank you, Katie. We're excited to have you. So just to kick off the conversation, and then we're going to tee up a, a poll for all of you to, to get your, your perspectives on this topic. But um, and if you joined Illuminar webinars in, in the past, you know, this is you're probably not a stranger to this slide, but um 
But I, I think, you know, particularly as, as we've all been navigating crisis after crisis, you know, I, I think a lot of the focus has turned to how do we properly equip our teams with um, these fundamental principles of modern agility, right? Um, or navigating through change or resilience or whatever label you want to put on it. But effectively, um, you know, the, the core um, assets that we need in order to navigate any kind of crisis, right? Whether it's it's personal related or whether it's, it's something professional, organizational, um, you need a good understanding of, of what's happening around you. Um, you need the tools and the capabilities um, and the skill sets to navigate those situations. Um, and you also need the connectivity, right? You need that connection back to others that um, that surround you in order to effectively, um, you know, get the right support, make the necessary connections. You know, we, we, no man is an island. Um, and, and so how do we work together to really um, surmount many of these challenges that we're, we're all experiencing? And, and so, uh, but one of the things, Katie, that, that you talk about quite a bit is, is sort of this balance between um, continuity or that short-term focus on ensuring that you're able to maintain um, whether it's continuity of service or um, maintain um, even daily life, right? The kind of your your daily, your operating routines, if you will, um, you know, again, sort of this, this idea of long-term longevity. And so we wanted to put that out um, to this group as, as a question. Um, as you think about your organization's current focus, are you more tuned into short-term continuity or are you really focused on the long-term? Katie, do you wanna, do you wanna reflect on you know, some of your observations on this dynamic? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna influence the poll answers. So I just want to give people a few minutes to respond. But when I talk about the difference between continuity and longevity, and first of all, I have to I have to preface this with there is there's no shame in prioritizing continuity. We all need to prioritize continuity. But as as it becomes more and more certain that our world is defined by endless change and endless um, challenge with with the disasters that we're seeing sort of one after another. The thing that's come into focus for me is the difference between the two. So when we talk about continuity, we're talking about our ability to continue doing what we've always done. But when we're talking about longevity, it's a nuance. What we're talking about is being able to do what needs to be done when the scenario changes. And so what's inherent in longevity is this agility that we're trying to develop in, in sort of developing continuity. But if you think about the practices associated with continuity versus longevity, they're quite different because when you're thinking about longevity, you're, you're potentially thinking about conflict, disaster, adversity that you haven't already faced. And so you might not have a plan for it. So when I'm looking towards helping an organization develop longevity, I'm thinking about what are the characteristics? What are the skill sets that need to be in place to ensure that when you don't have a plan for it. Yeah. I'm loving I'm loving the way this poll is going. This is perfect. <laughs> well, I, I think to your point, it, it's really about the balance, right? It's not that continuity is is not important, 
Um, but it, it's about um, how do you maintain that long-term view amidst mm -hmm. all of this firefighting that we're doing, right? And um, yeah, I think there's you know, no shortage of examples um, out there in terms of um, you know, how we've been putting off the long-term in, in favor of the short-term um, kind of fixer-upper sort of approach. And, um, and I think we're seeing the results of that, right? And, and I think, yeah, there's been, uh, and I, we're going to talk a, a bit about micro simulations and, and, you know, their role in, in helping you plan for situations that you've never really encountered before, right? But I, I think there is that element of scenario thinking, putting yourself in situations that, um, that you haven't experienced before as a, as a means to really develop the muscle memory for um, not only the short term, those things that are, are really on the, immediately on, on the horizon, but also those things that um, are down the road. So you have ample time to ensure that you're able to build the skills and capability um, that you need to to meet those um, those challenges when they come. That's right. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it goes without saying, but I just want to be clear that you can't have one without the other. Well, you can't have longevity if you don't have continuity. So you need to be delivering that focus on continuity. But you know, the message that I that I that I hope to really drive home today is that there's ways to amplify your existing continuity efforts to enable them to really help you soar into the next decade, you know, with that longevity. So um, I love this question, you know, continuity versus longevity, because number one, I think that it's it's a critical question that we all need to be asking ourselves. But it also is a is a perfect way to introduce the work that I do and what I want to share with you today, because I talk about what I do in the in the context of revolutionized resilience, and it's not just a catchy marketing phrase, you know, good alliteration. It's actually something that I really believe and it's focused on the way this word has evolved. So it's humble beginnings. Resilience sort of came on the scene back in the 17th century as a word that was used to describe a type of matter that was able to retake its shape after it's been impacted by some force. And obviously over the years, it's been adopted by psychology and then later every industry under the sun and every discipline, especially post COVID, this word has gotten more play than maybe any other. But what's happened with this word is that it's shifted from this quality that is bouncing back to where we were before the impact to something that includes an aspect of growth and development. So it's not just backing, bouncing back to where we were, but it's also bouncing forward to where we wanna be. And for me, that's a really exciting way to think about resilience because it's, it's taking it and turning it into something that we can use to actually help us develop that longevity. This is the quality that gives us the capability to adapt, to anticipate, and to be agile. And now, because resilience has been around for so long and applied across so many disciplines, there are so many definitions. And so I have to admit that this is just one way of talking about resilience, but it is the way that I like to talk about resilience. And so, with, with all of these definitions, I mean, shoot, we can't even agree on whether it's business resilience or organizational resilience. It can be a difficult thing to really wrap your hands around. But there's one thing that we can agree on, and at least most of us, and that's that it's important. So a recent study conducted by SAS revealed that 97% of executives 
believe business resilience is important. And now based on the events of the last couple of years, that's not really surprising. But what was surprising were the results of the other side of this question. Okay, you think it's important, but do you believe you have it? When executives were asked this question, only 47% of that same group said, yeah, I think my I think my organization is resilient. So it got me thinking about how we explain that gap. And you know, I think part of it will always be this sort of lack of a unified definition. If we if we can't define what resilience is, it will always be difficult to say, yes, affirmatively, that's something I have. But I think there's something else that's keeping us from being more like the karate kid, delivering a knockout kick to risk, being able to stay on our feet and maintain our balance, and a little bit more like karate kids who are sort of dancing around it, have a general idea of, of the focus, but not necessarily landing that impact and achieving what we're, what we're shooting for when it comes to resilience. So what is it that made only 47% of executives say, yes, I'm resilient, my organization is resilient? Well, if you ask me, and obviously none of you have, but I'm gonna tell you what I think anyway, uh, it's all about risk. Because when we're talking about resilience, inherently we're talking about risk, understanding it, being able to measure it, being able to manage it. And risk is tricky. It's constantly changing and evolving alongside our organization. And as our organization continues to change, our risk profile continues to change. So maintaining that awareness around risk is extremely challenging. And by the way, it's sort of a collateral duty alongside the other things you have to do, like continuing to operate your business and keep it productive and keep it profitable and keep your employees happy. So it's sort of a giant weight to lift. But that awareness, that awareness is the first step. And I love sharing this concept with business leaders because it's, number one, it's super applicable and super important. But it's also a great illustration of how business resilience and personal resilience are so parallel. Because if you've ever tried to work on yourself in any capacity, you know that if you don't have self-awareness, you can't change anything. You can't change a behavior that you're not aware of. Same applies for an organization. If you're not truly aware of your organizational risk, of the things that pose the greatest threat to you and how you can change them and whether you're actually capable of dealing with them, you're not in a position to dance around it. You're not agile. You're not ready to move. So when we talk about this awareness, I love um, sharing the results of this PwC Pulse Survey. So PwC conducted their Pulse Survey last year. No, I'm sorry, it was 2023, it was this year. And they surveyed 600 executives focused on exactly this thing, awareness around business risk. And the first two, the top two risks that executives reported as presenting either a serious or moderate threat to their organizations, cyber attacks and economy. Can we guess what the third one is? It's our people. 71% of the executive surveys surveyed reported that the retention and acquisition of talent was the third most impactful threat that they were thinking about. It was either serious or a moderate threat to their ability to continue operating the way they wanted to. And now we'd like to think about the great resignation as sort of in the rear view, and we're hoping that quiet quitting is quieting down. 
But if we look at the stats, they tell a different story. Our friends at Gallup conducted their, their usual global workforce review and the report for 2023 reflected that 52% of employees are just generally not engaged. Those are quiet quitters. 17% are actively disengaged. Those people are walking out the door. And 47% reported an intent to leave. That's almost half of the workforce looking to go elsewhere. And on the other side, just 31% reported thriving. Now, I, ha I hate to tell you this, but the thriving stat is down from 2022 and everything on the other side of the screen is up from 2022. So we're still dealing with a massively disengaged workforce. And now this isn't news. Everybody knows that we've been dealing with employee engagement and plenty of HR professionals have this front of mind and it's a priority and they're working on it. But there's one path to engagement that's not getting nearly enough attention in my opinion, and that's personal resilience. Research that's been done around organizational resilience, taking a, sp a specific look at individual resilience in that context shows that increasing personal resilience of employees not only improves their engagement and thus improves retention, but it also improves their productivity, increases job satisfaction, and drives overall well-being. Now, to understand why, we have to look a little bit at the science of personal resilience. Now, the word is often conflated with grit and perseverance. And at this point, you understand that I'm a, I'm a word person. I care about the definition of words. So I'm here to tell you that resilience is not grit. It's not perseverance. Though those are part of the equation, they are far from synonyms. And the reason why is that resilience is actually a neuroplastic adaptation in our brain. And now, the, the graphics that I'm going to use to explain this are a little bit technical, but bear with me. I'll explain that. So when we look at what's happening in our brain when it comes to resilience, when our brain senses a threat, whether that be a bear or a tiger or a scary email from our boss, the same thing happens. The part of our brain called the amygdala starts firing, and that's where the fight, flight, or freeze response lives. These are those very technical neuroscience graphics that I mentioned. And when that happens, the other, well, one of the other parts of our brain, our prefrontal cortex that controls executive function goes offline. And so we're poised to take these actions. We're running away, we're gonna fight for our lives, or we freeze because we can't do anything else. But what resilience does is it helps our brain make the shift from that amygdala that's firing to getting our prefrontal cortex back online. And so that means instead of reacting from that super emotional stressed out state, we're able to turn back on our cognitive function. And that means we can make better decisions, we can problem solve, we're better able to communicate. We're using our judgment. We're not reacting, we're responding. And so if we think about what that means, imagine being able to respond to a super stressful event instead of just shooting from the hip, well, this is the key to unlocking all of these benefits. It's the key to helping us stay present in those really stressful moments, to make better decisions, to stay engaged, to ask questions, to communicate, 
And what that drives is a growth mindset, which allows us to make mistakes without taking them super personally. We can get over the emotional response of those mistakes and find ways to learn from them. We stay curious. We, we're, our well-being is improved because we're less impacted by those negative emotions that come with stress. And overall, this, this cultivates self-awareness and self-efficacy that allows us to be those super engaged, productive, curious, driven employees, because we're not living in that super stressed out amygdala firing brain. So I get it. It's very clear that there are great personal benefits to developing individual resilience. But I know the question is, what does that really mean for organizations? So I'm going to flip this back to Paula, because I want to know what you think it means to organizations. Yeah, it looks like we've we've already got a few people weighing in here. Uh, with many of us believing that uh, individual resilience contributes significantly to organizational su success, but if you haven't answered the poll, maybe weigh in, take a couple minutes just to reflect and and weigh in. Um, yeah, how strongly do you think that whole concept of personal resilience? Um, impacts our ability to successfully organize you know, as, as companies, as communities, et cetera. I did want to bring up while we're waiting for those results, I did want to bring up, um, came across this study just in uh, our article from BCG um, in, prep, in preparing for this webinar. And I, I really uh, because I, I think often, you know, I feel like there is um, kind of a community thought around personal resilience, um, which can quickly get, you know, very touchy-feely, um, or at least there's a perception thereof, and then there's this concept of organizational, operational, or systemic um, ecosystem sort of resilience, right, um, where um, we we tend to focus. And, and so, although um, there is this acknowledgement that there is this interplay um, like the two generally uh, don't meet in, in in some capacity, right? And and I, I love the way they framed um, in this particular article. Um, they it they really called out the fact that organizational and and personal resilience are in many ways mirrors of one another. And um, and if you look at this really around the impact of an actual shock. Um, you know, there are, are aspects of what we do, um, both as, you know, practitioners and leaders in the industry, but also as individuals that help us better adapt in the face of challenges, right? There's the anticipation of um, disruption or change, et cetera. So anticipating those things before they are to happen. And that happens at an organizational level, but it also happens at a very individual level. Um, there's the cushioning advantage. So what do you do in the midst of that, that shock? Um, and, and how do you better prepare individuals and teams and organizations to respond to the event? Um, there's the actual adaptation to the event and maybe the sustained uh, ramifications or you know, changes, you know, the ripple effect um, sort of post-shock. Um, and then there's the shaping advantage. How do we leverage the insights of what we know about this new reality um, and what has worked and what hasn't worked, right? To really shape um, our organizations, our teams, you know, ourselves 
going forward. And I, I just thought this was, and I'll share this article in the chat for those that want to want to read it. But it, um, I thought it just 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 such such a nice job not to influence the the results of the survey, of course. But uh, but I think um, like really to assess how you know many of us are are charged with you know creating more effective and more resilient um, organizations and teams and and ecosystems. Really thinking more diligently about how how those things come together. So I, it looks like we are relatively well aligned, like you know, within you know some some degree of of uh, of uh, difference here. But I, I think more or less, it, it looks like Katie um, that you know we we do agree. Um, you know, as an audience, this is this is something that. Uh, there is a significant relationship between personal and organizational resilience. I'm so happy to hear that. And thank you for sharing your um, the BCG paper. I was just I was going to reference that uh, coming up. So um, that BCG article, you know, really perfectly illustrates the sort of way personal resilience benefits an organization in, in sort of those general terms. I love the the categories that they use. But talking more on a micro level, we, we already talked about engagement and productivity, but research has also shown that increased individual resilience drives innovation for your organization, collaboration, results in better feedback loops. Resilient people, number one, receive feedback better, but they're also more inclined to give honest feedback because they're in a place where they're embracing a growth mindset. And so being told that they've done something that needs improvement is not necessarily interpreted as, as a character flaw. They're able to use that to actually learn from it. And that drives that benefit that was in that last column of the BCG um, matrix that Paula shared. And so then on the flip side of this, you see less absenteeism, you see less turnover, you see less race, less burnout. And ultimately that ends up reflecting in your bottom line, not just because of reduced healthcare costs, but the statistics are actually pretty incredible. And, you know, Forbes agrees that focusing on people helps us maximize our revenue growth, but there's, there's also more specific stats that we can look at. So UPenn did a research study looking at the effect of resilience training specifically on salespeople, and they saw a 23% higher sales rate for those salespeople that had resilience training versus those who didn't. You wanna talk dollars? Johnson & Johnson reported a $25 million savings over six years based solely on their wellness and prevention program that included resilience training. And so when people ask me about the business case for resilience training, I point to this real life ROI. They reported a $2.71 ROI on what they invested in their individual resilience of their employees. BetterUp is a company that does resilience training. They do coaching, executive training, and employee training for corporations, but they have a research arm. And the research done by, the, by those scientists found that the organizations within their company that saw the highest increase in individual employee resilience also saw significantly higher revenue growth and by, by way of 3.2x as compared to organizations that didn't see the same increase. And finally, back to our engagement friends at Gallup, they saw a 21% increase in productivity for employees that received resilience training specifically because of how it changed their engagement. Now, BCG, that BCG article talks about personal resilience and organizational resilience as a multi-layer relationship, which is exactly how I talk about it. 
but because I am who I am, I use dessert because why not? And the way I think about it is not just individual and organizational resilience, but there's a third tier in the middle, it's team resilience. And so not only is individual resilience a component of an effective holistic resilience strategy, it's foundational because the resilience that you can build within your teams and ultimately within your organization are not just buoyed by your individual resilience, they're enabled. It's enabled. Think about how much you've invested in cultivating emergency plans, running drills, strategizing about how you're going to respond to an emergency. If at the end of the day, the people you're leaning on to implement those plans are not personally resilient, how effective do you think they're gonna be? Or even on your facing your day-to-day -day agility. If these, if your employees, and not by the way, not just your employees, your employees, your managers, your executive leaders, don't have that personal resilience that allows them to weather the storm, how effective are they gonna be at helping you manage the next adversity, anticipate the next change that needs to be made? And the other side of this is true. If you are compromising the individual resilience of your people, it's gonna look something like this. I mean, it's absolutely tragic, poor cake. When we talk about how do we compromise individual, individual resilience, there is no question that individual resilience for your employees cannot exist if they're not working in an environment and in a culture that supports and enables it. If you want to give your in, in employees a resilience training, you, you, know, you, you host a webinar, you have a keynote speaker come in, you allow them to speak, you do it one time, you don't make any other changes. You don't turn the mirror on your organization to really consider what is the organization doing to support the resilience of these people? It's like teaching someone French and then dropping them in Germany and expecting them to be able to get by. It just doesn't work. You need both sides. And now I want to flip it back over to Paula for one more question about how you're currently investing in your employee resilience. Oh my God, I love, I love the Elmo graphics. Ooh, we're sleeping on it. I love the honesty. Please be honest. For those evaluators, I hope we have time at the end for a little bit of a discussion because I want I want to hear more about that evaluation. What are the questions that you're asking? What information would be helpful for you to make that decision? And for our, I mean, for our yesers, I want to hear why you made that decision, how you made it. And then for our sleepers, we're we're gonna wake you up. Well, I think. I'd be interested in in hearing maybe some folks from the audience talk about how they have invested in personal resilience training. Because I think there's a lot of different flavors of this. Yeah. Um, and what have they found works? Yeah, so we have a few comments. Um, so Leah was talking about how training employees and resilience is designed to make them more situationally aware uh, which should make them recognize personal and business concerns more quickly. Um, it's interesting to have a measurement of ROI on resilience training. It can be a very, I mean, it can be a very um, squishy topic. And then Tom um, you know, says that employees trained in personal resilience are better positioned to survive a crisis, which means, which brings them back to work quicker. Um, a plan is no good without the employees there to execute it. Absolutely. Anyone want to yeah. share what they're doing? Uh, for those that are in the yes column, curious about what you have in place. 
So Tom says down here in Florida, we would host an annual hazard fair for employees, vendors, including insurance companies, Home Depot, Lowe's, public agencies, et cetera, to help employees identify uh, ways to be better protect, protected and more resilient. Awesome. So really focusing on the personal preparedness aspect yeah. of resilience, which is, I mean, to Tom's point that he made earlier, you know, if you're, if you're better equipped to respond to an emergency personally, you're able to deal with work and not just focus on oh, the impact of the emergency. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this takes me back to a conversation I had with Lisa Jones. Um, this is going back a couple months ago and, and she was talking about really the criticality of focusing on employees, you know, as, as part of the acute phase of the crisis. Right. And, and because uh, ultimately your employees allow you to serve your customer. And so without that, that focus on like the lifeblood of your business, um, you know, things can quickly spiral. Mm -hmm. Sharon has actually, Jason's got a comment here. I look at team member well-being, self-care, adaptability, self-advocacy, dig into purpose and meaning, um, and bringing in mental health professionals for employees. Um, Linda has a comment here. I can't take credit as our HR team led the effort, but many things done to support mental health, including employee resource groups, access to the Calm app, this amazing app, um, uh, helper messaging from executive level supporting self-care. I think that tone from the top is so key in terms 100%. of, you were just talking about that this morning. Um, there's a there's a new article out and, and we'll share it in the chat here. Momentarily, it was talking about um, how surgeons are are really struggling uh, because they've built this entire culture of of being um, self sufficient, you know, and 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 essentially, you know, being superhuman. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is, I think, in, you know, for for a lot of professions, um, you know, that is sort of the the ideal um, like persona that we built of ourselves, right? But I think the reality is, especially in sustained crisis. Um, you know, we do need the the support and um, the knowledge, and and we and in a lot of ways we need to develop new skill sets to navigate um, some of this new uncertainty and some of these novel risks. So, um, so I think there's there's no shame in admitting that you need help, and um, but I, I think also like how do you pr provide um, practical resources? And these are really great ideas that everyone is contributing in the chat. I really like the idea of teaming up with the corporate wellness team uh, from AJ. Uh, BCP currently provides awareness to the ready.gov resources as a promotion of personal resiliency. We run the typical fire and tornado drills along with the work from home exercises. Um, and, and Jason also um, says it's enabled by the EAP team building. Um, outings, lunch and learns, CPR. So this is more around connectivity connectivity, which I love, you know, Leah's, Leah, um, is talking Nailed about, it. yeah, the, um, preparedness training. Yeah. This I was just going to respond. It's really interesting. Like, and you know, this could be that people are just sharing pieces of what they do, but it seems that we have people that are sort of, their efforts are more focused on that personal preparedness side of resilience. And then there are others that are looking at sort of the mental health, personal, physical well-being as, as part of that resilience, um, framework, but I mean, the, the real money is is in looking at personal resilience holistically and, and understanding that those are all components of a larger whole. 
Yeah, Ripcord can also be a fantastic resource for personal safety training. Uh, awesome. This is, and thank you so much for sharing this information because, you know, it's it, it, it can feel like there isn't a lot going on when it comes to personal resilience within organizations because there is a pretty frequent resistance to this concept as something that doesn't have a place at the resilience table. You know, it's like, we're, we're talking about operational resilience. Don't, don't get it confused. But what research shows is that it's actually an inherent part of that resilience. And, you know, in addition to all of the great efforts that you guys shared, I just want to share a bit about the types of tools that um, research shows to be really effective in terms of building that personal resilience. So by all means, keep doing everything that you're doing. What we have learned is that it can be really effective for these measures to be integrated into the day-to-day -day of an employee that allows it to be deliberate and continual and integrated. And it also lends to a collaborative effort between the organization and the employee. So I'm sure you've, you've witnessed this in your organizations when any kind of wellness benefit is sort of delivered in a silo, it, it doesn't get very far. When there is a collaborative effort between the organization and the employee to number one, push it out, but more importantly, to integrate it through the messaging, through the culture around it, and through the energy through, it, through which it's delivered, it makes a massive difference. But what's really interesting about embedding these trainings into day-to-day -day practice is that it seems that when we allow employees to build this practice in real time, dealing with their day-to-day -day stress, and they cultivate resilience around the adversity that they face in their normal day job, research shows that they are the employees that are better equipped to, show, to demonstrate that adaptive resilience during a disaster. So it's, you know, there's this difference between state and trait resilience. So, tra you know, when people talk to me about this, they often say, well, instead of training for it, why don't we just hire for it? Well, the truth of the matter is resilience that you demonstrate in your day-to-day -day life as, you know, I'm just a resilient person doesn't necessarily translate into resilience to deal with your day-to-day -day adversity, which is that state resilience that you need to develop over time. I mean, I just had an experience with this in my personal life. I have been dealing with disasters my whole life, <laughs> but professionally I've, I've been doing this for more than a decade. And I had my first sort of, it was small, but I had my first fire in my house and watching myself respond to it was really interesting because I have been prepared for this forever. But watching the reaction of, of sort of that fight or flight, I definitely had that freeze moment where I had to shift to that cognitive brain and say, oh my God, I know how to do this. But I had that state resilience because it was something that I had practiced. And this is why this type of training is so effective for our employees. And what this leads to is the conclusion that Paul and I have come to, which has really driven this partnership, is that micro simulations are an incredible way to teach and train personal resilience. And now if you are lucky enough to be a client of Illuminar or you have been part of their webinars, you're familiar with their micro simulations. And beyond the benefits of why micro learning is so effective for resilience, there's also the sort of macro benefits of micro learning that neuroscience keeps delivering for us. It seems that 
you know, we, we, we're all walking around with these brains that are constantly consuming and they're really overloaded. And so micro learning allows us to reduce our cognitive overload while also fitting this training into the way we would normally solve problems in life. And the added benefit for employers is that it's minimally distractive and it's also scalable. You can keep building on it. It's trackable. You can develop a way of sort of uh, assessing where employees are before they start and then afterwards and stackable. You can complement different skill sets. And so this is just an example of an Illuminar microsim, and this is just a screenshot of it. The real thing is way more exciting. But if you've ever used one of these in the emergency preparedness context, it allows you to simulate the emergency response. So we're testing the protocol. We're basically doing response training. It allows us to work in a team and test our collaboration and really sort of vet our communication strategies. But what if there was also the capacity to not only look at what this looks like operationally, but to allow yourself to walk through it personally. So you're in a micro simulation, you're confronted with a scenario that's at least stimulating the, the stress that you might feel in that particular scenario. And what if you were confronted with the questions that allow you to look at your decision-making capability or how you're managing your stress? What happens in your body? What happens in your brain? What's the mindset? You know, Are you already thinking about catastrophe or are you able to stay in that problem-solving state? And what's the narrative that comes along with it? And then also the personal preparedness piece that we were just talking about, understanding. So say the scenario is about a tropical storm and you live someplace that tropical storms don't typically hit. What does your personal preparedness look like for that? And you get to think about that before a disaster actually hits. And it gives you insight into your existing self-awareness. So we all have an anticipation of how we'll respond, like I did with my little house fire, but then seeing it in a micro simulation, it allows us to really gut check and, and determine how in tune we are with our capabilities and really understand where those weaknesses might lie. And finally, it gives us the opportunity to manage the stress when we're not dealing with it in real time. So that later on, if we are confronted with that scenario in real life, we've got that playbook. We've built that mental muscle, that resilience exists to help us get from that amygdala back to our cognitive brain because our brain knows what to do. And beyond just looking at microsims in the disaster context, extrapolate this out. Like think about this as a management tool, as a, as a training tool. So say you have an employee that you, you know, you sit down for your performance, performance review and they, you know, you recognize that there are certain things that are really lacking and that you could help them cultivate their personal resilience, but you can just give them a micro sim to do it instead of just saying, you know, uh, I noticed that you take feedback really hard and it would be great if you could be more receptive to feedback. What if you can give them a micro sim where they're actually receiving pretty negative feedback and they get to walk through those steps for themselves? What happens in my brain? What's my mindset? What's the narrative? What am I telling myself about this feedback that's making me have such a negative emotional response to it? And what it allows you to do is not, not just have a targeted training tool, but also track the advancement of your employees. And at that executive level, if you have, an, if you have a dashboard showing the performance of your employees on these microsims, you have a crystal clear picture of where your personal strengths lie and where your weaknesses exist. And that allows you to really be laser focused and efficient in how you're delivering wellness and resilience trainings and resources. And now I'm gonna turn it 
back to Paula because I want to share a little bit about the resource that we are going to share with you at the end of this. That was fantastic, Katie. And thank you so much. We do have a question from Ken about um, whether um, you have research and metrics on what are the key milestones for, of success and a maturity model for organizations to follow. So I, I mean, so this goes back to that definition of of resilience that is so personal for us, but also personal to your organization. And so part of what I do with organizations is an agility audit that allows us to really understand what does it mean to be resilient for this organization? And from there, developing what those key milestones are. Because the challenge with sort of applying a blanket statement to what are the milestones for success from an organizational level is that you're you're sort of applying, you may be applying resources that you don't actually need. Within the personal context, I have a pro, I have sort of a, a, a program that does identify key milestones that are general enough that individuals can sort of do their own assessment, see where they fit, and then use resources that address each of those milestones as they need it. Another thing to to add to that, I, I think it, we're going to have a, a follow-on roundtable um, that that brings together some of the concepts that we discussed today around the relationship between personal uh, resilience and organizational resilience, but also this concept of archetypes, resilience archetypes, which we um, talked about earlier in the year. Uh, but I think the key thing there, really understanding different people's perceptions of resilience, right? And how um, they how they prefer to build resilience. And I think um, you know, what based on the research that we've done at Illumiter, um, you know, there are different flavors of resiliency depending on um, the culture of your organization, you know, the the culture of your team or individuals, you know, within kind of that that kind of that ma macrocosm of of the um, that the individuals and, and teams and so on and so forth um, make up. Um, so yeah, definitely a topic that we um, will delve in more as we go. Um, so we did put together this um, this resource. I'm just going to share at a high level. Um, we definitely want to leave a little time for questions um, and, and discussion. But um, you know, in, in in preparing for this webinar, one of the things that um, you know, Kitty and I had talked about is, well, how do we make this real for people? And, um, you know, with so much focus on organizational operational resilience, and then on an individual basis, you know, sort of giving people um, the resources, um, you know, to maintain like their their well-being, how do we connect the, the two in a much more material way? And, and so what you'll find here um, is, is essentially a guide to, um, you know, these, these situational sort of story living, um, experiential learning exercises, um, really centered around, um, so it's five kind of different scenarios that we've laid out here, um, one around adapting to organizational change, um, one around work-life integration in a crisis. I'm sure no one on the phone has, has lived that one. Um, you know, we've got one around customer focus and uncertainty that really um, brings into play some of the, the th themes that we're seeing around um, the un insurability crisis um, and, and how to navigate that from a, a customer centricity, uh, but also personal resiliency perspective, um, conduct risk, which, which is a major focus for many organizations, especially 
uh, with key personnel or executives that may not necessarily have the bandwidth to stay on top of evolving regulations, you know, how to ensure that they have the proper tools at their disposal to um, respond appropriately. SolarWinds is a great example of, of how um, or how executives in particular may not necessarily know how to respond in a way that's compliant um, and, um, and making sure that they have the, the right tools in place to, to understand how to navigate those things. And then finally, um, I think we're all facing these really um, novel situations, right, where, um, where they're really unprecedented and um, it certainly came, um, came into play as a result of, of COVID. But um, you know, AI is another great example. Um, we have a AI um, deep fake micro simulation that I know has provoked a lot of thought within the community. But how do how do um, you ensure that the people in your organization have the the skills and the knowledge to navigate um, great uncertainty? And so the goal here is is how do you connect uh, these situations that we all experience? Um, you know, at organizational level, professional level as well as at an individual and, and personal level in a way that um, really encourages people to live the situation before it happens. So um, anything you wanna add there, Katie? No, that was that was great. You know, I think that this is um, an incredible resource just to sort of um, scr scratch the surface of this conversation because, you know, for a lot of organizations, we understand that personal resilience is not yet in that, in that fold of the sort of global enterprise resilience conversation. And it tends to exist in a different part of the organization altogether. And so these micro simulations offer um, a, a look at how a scenario could be used from the senior executive to the manager, to the employee, and how there's really a personal resilience aspect for each of those positions with each scenario, while also considering how you might use the scenario to understand sort of the operational side of, of your process, but also the personal resilience side of, of what you're dealing with when you're managing that kind of disaster. Um, if you haven't taken the quiz on um, resilience archetypes, this is something we launched earlier this year. And it's it's really um, a quick way you know, to assess um, you know, sort of where you stand on on um, so the whole concept is 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 really that um, you know, we resilience is built as a, as a as an artifact of our attitudes and orientations on systemization um, and engagement, and um, and thinking through those particular attributes can help you better engage your organization um, around the topic of building resilience. And and so um, it's been a lot of fun to to watch um, your organizations and teams really engage on this topic and um, compare notes, if you will. But it's a really useful asset, especially as it relates to how um, those aspects of personal resilience and organizational resilience um, really intersect. Um, so go ahead and scan the QR code if you want to take that. Uh, you can also find it on our website. Um, if you haven't um, seen the guide to the playmakers, you know, this is all about um, risk management, resilience's role, um, compliance's role in the new game of business agility. So how do we better support the broader business in Navigate on, navigating uncertainty. And then finally, um, you love what Katie had to say today. She was, Katie, you're always just such a um, prolific um, and engaging speaker. All right. Well, thank you all. Have a great day. And thank thanks you. for joining us.